Facing a giant? There's a sure way to defeat it. And that's next right here on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Zion, now filled with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and harmony. I said let this world know me by your we're all going to face giants, giant trials or challenges. And that's not a bad thing because overcoming them helps us grow. We mistakenly believe that life would be so much better without challenges, but those we admire most have had to overcome great challenges. Well, hello and welcome to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We continue today in what's been called the most difficult book in the Bible. But investing the time to study it pays great returns, bringing insight on how to do the difficult. We pick up our study in Hebrews chapter 3, and it's there you will discover that in having Jesus, you have everything you need. Here's Pastor Ed. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, considering the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house, for every house is built by someone, but he who builds all things is God." And Moses indeed was faithful in all his houses as a servant for a testimony of these things which would be spoken afterwards. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope firm to the end, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Better than Moses. Jesus is better than Moses. Whenever I think of Moses, I think of the old story that comes to mind about George W. Bush being in the Dallas airport, waiting for a plane, sitting in the gate, and he looked over and there was a white-haired man with a big, full white beard, robe on a staff. And he's looking up just at the ceiling. Bush walks over to him, he says, excuse me, sir, but are you Moses? And the guy doesn't respond at all. And so Bush raises his voice. He said, excuse me, sir, but aren't you Moses? Still no response. So he gets right up near his ear and he says, sir, are you Moses? No response. Just staring up at the lights. So one of the Secret Service agents comes over and he says, is there a problem, Mr. President? He said, this guy is either very rude or he can't hear at all. I think he's Moses. And the Secret Service man turns to him and, and he talks to the Secret Service agent. He looks at him, he says, 
Yes, I am Moses, but I can't talk to him because the last time I talked to a bush, I spent 40 years in the wilderness. <laughs> I know you were hoping for something spiritual. Not so much. <laughs> Better than Moses. If you've been tracking with us this letter, written in about 68 AD, we're not sure of the author. I believe it was the Apostle Paul, but nobody knows for sure it's not signed. This author is writing to a group of Messianic Jews, Jews that have received Jesus as their Messiah, probably just outside of Rome. Well, in 68 AD, Nero was on the throne, and he was persecuting Christians openly by this time. The temple was still standing in Jerusalem. The city was there, the walls were up. But in just two years, Titus Vespasian would be sent down as the general of three legions and completely destroy the city of Jerusalem. But at this time, the temple is still doing daily sacrifices and Judaism is going on like it had been for centuries. Well, the new believers who had come from Judaism were struggling with this persecution. And the temptation was to go back to Judaism because you could just keep the law and not suffer possibly losing your life as a martyr. And so the temptation was to deny Christ as the Messiah and keep the Old Testament law again as they'd been doing all their lives. So the author is writing to them and saying, no, you can't replace a relationship with God by the law by the 613 rules and regulations of the Old Testament. And so his argument has been, if you were with us, the first three verses of chapter 1 was that Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets, better than the Old Covenant, much better than. And then he argued Jesus is also better than the angels, which was a stumbling block for the Jews. They held angels in really high regard. But now he really goes after it because in this section he says Jesus is better than Moses. Well, that's very difficult for a Jew because they saw Moses as the most important man that had ever lived. And this author says plainly, no, the most important man is the God-man, Jesus Christ. And let me encourage you that just like our fathers, the Jews, with Moses, who refused to go into the promised land because they were afraid of the giants that were there, you're afraid of a giant. His name is Nero and the Roman legions. But you need to go in to the place of rest. Now, the place of rest is not as some of our old hymns say, you know, I looked over Jordan, and what did I see coming to carry me home? A band of angels. Great song, bad theology. <laughs> the promised land was not heaven, as many of those old songs say. The promised land was a place where there would be battles, that there would be giants to fight. There would be difficult armed cities to go against. But God is promising, I'll go with you. This is my plan for your life. Yes, it's difficult, but go do it. They looked, looked at God and said, no. And they walked away. They didn't believe, trust, have faith that God would get them through. Well, that lasts down to this day that people may come to Jesus, but then there's these struggles. You go forward at a crusade, or you raise your hand at some church, or even here, and then 
there's difficulties because life is messy, have you noticed? And we're tempted to go back to the old, maybe it was a denomination you grew up in, maybe it was a cult you grew up in, it was something you were familiar with. And it's easier to go back to the old than to go with the new. So that's a picture of the new covenant, the new agreement between God and man. New wine can't be put in old wineskins, can't be put in the old covenant, doesn't work. And that's the argument that's going on here. So he continues with this argument that Jesus is better than, in the first six verses, one through six, he says Jesus is better than Moses. And then, verses seven through 11, today, this day, this moment, this is today, 7 through 11, and then the last verse, unbelief, no faith, no trust, not putting your life in Jesus' hands. So, there are wonderful promise-filled chapters, and then there's chapters that are warning. This actually has both within it, but it's not the easiest, simplest chapter of the Bible to deal with. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews has been called by many the most difficult book in the whole Bible. I don't think so, but let's jump in and see if we can make it intelligible and wrap our mind around it. I think it's uncomfortable, but not hard to understand. Let's jump in. Verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. Therefore, in light of the previous chapters that Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets, that he's better than the angels, you are holy brethren. Now, the word holy is not a great translation of this Greek word hagios. Hagios literally means to set something aside, to put it for a special use and not use it for normal things, common things. So, this is saying that we are in the world, no other way to live, breathe air, etc., but we are set apart from the world system, from its values, from its priorities, because we're now kingdom kids. God has given us eternal life. We're on our way to heaven, and our life has been set aside. Oh, we may not look very different, particularly at the beginning when you first surrender your life to God. But he promises to be setting us aside, sanctified is the term, to be sanctified every day, to become more and more like him. That's the good news. It's him doing it. That is the new covenant. He said, I will take out your heart of stone. I, God speaking, I'll take out your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you. I will write my law of love on your heart, and I will cause you to walk in my ways. It's God doing it. That's the point. Will you rest in that truth, or will you try and help God out? Some of us have occasionally in rare occasions, given God advice even. I'm sure none of you have, but moi has as an idiot. Therefore, set aside, brothers and sisters, partakers of the heavenly column. A partake means participants in. We associate with others. You're associated with a questionable group of people here. Some of us have come from really shaky backgrounds, you know. But we are now traveling on the same pathway, going towards eternity, and have been accepted by Jesus, and we have accepted him as our Lord and Savior. We are participants in a calling from God from heaven. You see, God calls us. We don't have to listen, but when we're smart, 
we wisely choose to surrender our life to him. So we are partakers along with. We are participants in the summons from heaven, somebody said. I like that. God summons us. He said, come on, I want to spend eternity with you. And we agree to that and we participate in it. You've been listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. He's expounding on this heavenly calling we have as believers. Now with part two of today's lesson, and to take us deeper into Hebrews chapter three, here again is Pastor Ed. Then it says, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. Now, those of you that are familiar with scripture, you'll know this is the only place in the Bible that Jesus is called an apostle. And normally when we think of apostles, we think of the 12 that traveled with Jesus, but the word literally means a sent one. And that very much is who Jesus was, sent by Father God to heaven. God the Son sent by Father God down to earth. So he is, in that sense, an apostle. And he is also a high priest. Now the high priest we looked at last time, the word means a bridge builder between a holy God and unholy people. Jesus is the ultimate high priest, not like the one that would go in on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, every year and put the blood of a goat on the horns of the altar, the four corners of the Ark of the Covenant. But this is the high priest who would once and for all himself be the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. Kind of giving you a fast track here, but there's a lot to cover here. Jesus himself is the ultimate once and for all high priest for you. Don't need any more because he did everything that was needed for a high priest to do. When we consider him, the word means to study carefully Jesus, we are changed. I cannot explain it. I can only tell you that that is what scripture tells us. That in the process of you setting aside some time, thinking about, praying to, reading about Jesus, you will be changed. You will be changed in a way that is lasting. Here's 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the living God. So we are changed. A lot of things in our life just begin to fall into place when we spend time with Him. Spend time with Him often, like every morning and every evening, you'll be changed faster. So He is the priest, and He is the one of our confession. This is an important word in the New Testament, confession. It's actually easy to see in the Greek language, homo logeo. Homo, where we get our homogenized milk, all the same in it. Logeia, logos, is a word. That we say the same thing that God does. What is our confession? That Jesus Christ is God the Son, died on a cross for me, took my sin on, so I'll spend eternity with him because I trust him to have done that. So our words about who Jesus is are important, as is our homologeo, our confession in regards to sin. Quick side note, some believers have been taught erroneously that they only have to confess their sin once when they first get saved. And I'm, I'm being painfully clear because I want you to know that's heresy. My pastor said it, and he's not a heretic. 
He may not be a heretic in all areas, but he certainly is in that area if that's what he said. Because this word, homologeia, is embedded in the letter of John, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. And there it says that if we are faithful to confess homologeia, say the same thing God does, if we are faithful to confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is in the present perfect tense. You can go look that up and understand it better. It happens all the time. You mean, Pastor, I have to confess every single sin I ever did? No, 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 no. There's not time. <laughs> if you did that every morning, you'd be there till 1130 noon before you could go to work, okay? You just say, Lord, you know, I failed to do some things and did some things I shouldn't. Please forgive me. Boom. It's done. That's simple. Don't make a bigger thing out of it than it is, because the beauty of it is all I have to do is say it, and then my sins are tossed as far as the east is from the west, which is a very long distance. North to south, we understand. It's the poles, right? But east to west, no end point. Just keeps on going to infinity. God remembers your sin, my sin, no more. We'll come to that in just a moment about Moses. Who was the faithful, verse 2? Faithful to him, capital H, Father God, who appointed him, capital H, Jesus, God the Son, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. Now, it says house, but what it means by that term is the house of God, or literally the children of God. God has a family. You are part of it if you surrender your life to the Lord. God becomes your father, and you are a child of God. That's what's going on. Moses was faithful in all of his, capital H, God's family. Moses was faithful. Now, the word faithful, pistos, is an important one. It means that applied to God, that he keeps his promises, his character is such that whatever he says, he does. But practically for you and I, it means that I put my trust in Jesus Christ, what he did on a cross. So this says, as Moses was faithful. Now, those of you that are familiar with the Old Testament are going, Moses? Same Moses I know? Faithful? Didn't he have that little problem with Refusing to circumcise his sons? Well, yeah. Uh, how about the whole thing with the wife that was a legy? How many wives did he have? Yeah, I know. Well, how about the striking the rock over and over again? God reprimanded him for it. In fact, wouldn't let him go in the promised land later because he had not done what God told him to do. No, no. Those were all confessed homo legeo, and God's forgotten them. See, that's the good news about your sins and mine. All I have to do is agree with God that they're sins, and they're gone. He has holy amnesia about your sins and mine. Yeah, somebody said amen. I, I agree. That's an amen or you know, for sure. Thank you, God, that you are forgetful when it comes to my sins. So God chooses to not remember Moses' sins here. The author doesn't say anything about it. In fact, it even goes on to say that he is great. He has glory. Verse 3, but this one has been counted worthy of more glory. Moses has glory, but more glory than Moses. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Jesus deserves more glory than Moses. That's what this is. Now, probably doesn't affect most of us in this room with our Gentile background, but if you grew up in a Jewish home, then 
you got to stop a minute and go, what? Jesus is greater, more glorious, has more weight. Jesus was greater than Moses, and as we saw in verse 1, equal with Father God, and he was, in fact, a good man. Now, if you're a Jew, you know Maimonides. Maimonides was a 12th century uh, rabbi, a famous one. He said Moses was so great that he, quote, comprehended more of God than any man in the past or future ever comprehended or will comprehend God. Not so. He was wrong. Moses was greatly used by God, but he was a man just like everybody else. Jesus was not the creation. Moses was part of the creation. Jesus was the creator. Moses was not the creator. Verse 4, for in every house, every house is built by someone, but he has built all things as God. God has built everything here in this world. You are built by God. Well, how does that work, Pastor? Well, I don't know exactly, but it says in Psalm 139 that you were knit together inside. You were woven, which is an interesting same way when you consider mitosis. Your chromosomes were woven together, 23 from mom, 23 from dad, 46 chromosomes woven into you, completely unique. No one's ever been exactly like you. Even if you're an identical twin, you are not identical because things change in the womb. You might have started with exactly the same chromosome, but you didn't end up nine months later coming out exactly the same. It's just the reality of physics and biology. So you are part of the creation. Every house is built by somebody. You were built by somebody. The body of Christ was built by somebody. Uh, the builder of all things is God. Verse 5, and Moses indeed was faithful in all his house, the house of God, as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. For God's house, notice his house again with a capital A. But he was a servant. The point, you are a servant, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. You surrender your life to God, then you become a slave to Jesus Christ. Oh, it's a good slavery. It's one that he elevates as far above anything we would have been without him. But it is, in fact, in the service of the kingdom of God. Moses was in, but he was a servant. He is a testimony of those things, something that gives a statement about. He is a shadow, we're told. He is a picture. He's an illustration of Jesus Christ. He was pointing towards Jesus Christ, but he was not the Messiah, verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, again, family of God, Jesus was capital S son over his own house, the children of God whose house, the family we are, if we hold fast to the confident and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. You are part of the family of God when you surrender to him. Jesus is better than Moses. Indeed, if you have Jesus, you have everything you need to assure victory against any giant. We're going and growing through Hebrews right now on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. If you missed a portion of today's study, simply go online to thepackinghouse.org and you'll find our programs are archived there for you. We can also send you a CD copy if that's preferred. Here's where to reach us, 844-77-GRACE. Again, that's 844-77-GRACE. Our prayer is that you'll grow in grace through this study of Hebrews. And if a question comes to mind, 
or you're in need of prayer, or would just like to express something that's on your heart, please do email us at packinghouseradio at aol.com. Again, packinghouseradio at aol.com. Today, we'd like to offer you an inspirational book from Elizabeth Elliot called Through Gates of Splendor. This classic bestseller recalls the story of five missionaries who dared to share the good news with a Stone Age tribe deep in the jungles of Ecuador. And while they were martyred for their faith in Jesus, their story lives on, inspiring thousands to follow in their courageous footsteps. Through Gates of Splendor, our featured resource is available for a gift of any amount to grow in grace. You can give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get out the good news of Jesus to a world in need. Pastor Ed Ray writes a daily devotional that you can access through our website. You can read these biblical and relevant devotionals at thepackinghouse.org. And look for us on His Channel TV, where we're studying Colossians right now. Our series in Hebrews continues next time we meet, and we hope you can join us for that. This has been Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, a daily presentation of the Packing House Christian Fellowship. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. 